Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm the Macho Man. <laughs> I'm Forrest. Uh, yeah, and uh, this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured... Or trash. ...piece of cinema. No way to start the podcast like blowing out your mic, which is... <laughs> Fortunately, uh, you are the person doing sound, so Yay. good luck with that. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's this is a fun one this week. Uh, I'm going to have to limit my amount that I want to talk about professional wrestling because uh, there are many and several topics that are interesting in this world to me. But Yeah, uh, you've got... You've got a lot, I think, that like coming into this that you want to talk about. And I am a blank slate. I know really nothing about about this world, about yeah. wrestling, any more than, I mean, Hulk Hogan when I was a kid in the 90s. I was going to ask. I was going to ask where you fell on your understanding of this in pop culture, right? Not in like somebody who ever watched wrestling or what have you, but just as a viewer of pop culture, where it crossed into your into your being. Yeah, these are the dudes from the Slim Jim commercials. That was Ran- the Macho Man Randy Savage, yep. Like that's, that's that that's basically it. And then so so these are the dudes from the Slim Jim commercials. Hulk Hogan had I think like a doll or something uh in the 90s and then I know that he had a sex tape. Um yeah. he had we, uh, he can't had lost. Us allegedly or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, he, there was there was a lawsuit by, yeah. about a sex tape yeah. that I don't I don't know any truly I don't know anything about it other than there was some lawsuit about yeah. a sex tape. Uh, so he must be litigious. <laughs> um, that feels like a, a, a statement of fact. Sure. And um, I think his daughter had like a pop single, Brooke Hogan. Yes. That feels correct. Yeah, she did. And his son was in a car accident that killed somebody, and I think went to jail. Oh, and yeah. And they had a reality show on TV. There was a that. reality yeah. show. Yes. That's what it was. Like when reality shows were first, like in their like yeah. beginning stages, like pre-Kardashian type VH1 situation. MTV, really bad. Yeah. We put cameras all around your house and just record everything. Yeah. It was awful. I think around the same time as Jessica Simpson, maybe, and the guy from 98 Degrees. Nick Lachey. Yeah. And they had a thing called, I don't remember what their It doesn't matter. Called, yeah. She had Chicken of the Sea. Tuna, she, yes. was, she was saying it was chicken. That, right. Anyways, this was what, the early aughts? Uh-huh. That feels yep. right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's right. I was busy in college. I didn't have time for any of this, no, but this I was, was like yeah. vaguely in the zeitgeist as That's I right. was studying philosophy, I okay. think. So that is your that is your extent of wrestling knowledge, <laughs> which will be interesting uh, as we get into this. But uh, for this episode, we're actually talking about uh, the sale of the largest wrestling company uh, in the United States, which is the... WWE, also okay. known as World Wrestling Entertainment. Ooh, ooh. Yes. Uh, what I knew as the WWF. That's right. Growing up. That's right. And then apparently they stole the name from the Panda Organization. Well, the, yeah, the WWF, <laughs> the acronym, got, uh, got they got sued by the World Wildlife Fund. Right. And apparently that was, like, you can't, for some reason, can't do that. Like, I don't know why. They, they were named different things. I don't know why you couldn't use the same acronym. But it's just they were afraid that they would get mistaken there. I guess it was when they had the wrestler giant panda that they <laughs> just it caused too much confusion. Right. Right. Um, so I do recall again, mm-hmm. that's I think that was about the time. Like once it became the WWE, I was like, I don't know what this is. This right. is um, beyond me. I'm yeah. no longer a child watching Saturday morning cartoons. So yeah. it doesn't it doesn't pertain to me. Speaking of which, Hulk Hogan had a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. I think I do recall that. Yeah. This we're going to mention Hulk Hogan very limitedly in yes. this uh, in this <laughs> podcast. We're mostly going to be focusing on the one Vincent K. McMahon, the 
owner of the WWE, who was the majority shareholder of the company until selling it to Endeavor. But uh, let's go ahead and get into the news and we can get into more about that. All right, let's do it. Earlier this month, Endeavor, an entertainment colossus, was finalizing a deal to acquire the WWE and merge it with Ultimate Fighting Championship, the combat sports league that Endeavor also owns. News of the deal, which aims to create a new public company worth more than $21 billion, broke Sunday before the second night of WrestleMania. Uh, so this was earlier this month, uh, I believe it was April the 3rd or something when it was announced. So Ari Emanuel, the head of Endeavor, was in attendance at WrestleMania alongside Vincent McMahon, uh, who was, the, uh, was at the time the executive chairman of the WWE. The companies officially announced the deal that Monday morning after WrestleMania, saying that the as-yet-unnamed company will trade under the stock symbol TKO, <laughs> Which oh, is no. short for technical knockout. Yes, no, uh, I've yes. and uh, will not aim, total knockout, right. which is what I always thought growing up. Right, and is going to aim to be a quote juggernaut in the live entertainment and sport and combat sports arena. So the idea behind this sale and merger mm-hmm. is that live entertainment is one of the few things that actually commands high prices from both consumers and broadcasters. Right. And so, you know, whether it's NBC or Fox or USA Network or whomever, Mm -hmm. uh, these broadcasters are paying a lot of money for live content. So ESPN has the UFC. Um, I believe NBC has um, WWE right now. Okay. um, Or several do. Maybe Fox also has part of it. When these rights deals come up, for a new deal, they are going to have now the full power of this joint organization, the WWE and the UFC, to command higher prices for these companies to acquire those rights. It's weird, though, because it feels like, ooh, I'm going to say something. Uh Uh-huh. You're going to defame my people? (laughs) I'm going to say something that's going to offend maybe you or uh, fans like you. Mm -hmm. It feels like a it feels like a merger between like the federation soccer and like a theater troupe Mm, okay insofar as technically yes live performances Mm -hmm. and live entertainment however one is real right and one is a, a performance so so you think wrestling is fake I'm it not... doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> I'm not saying Sorry, it's I'm fake. just going to be doing a lot of... <laughs> I'm not saying it's fake, right? Like, I'm not saying for... In... Like, it. I, I'm simply saying that it is a performance that the the winner is known to the people beforehand. It's not like sure. a thing that you can, like, bet most, on. Most times. Uh, and that that is true. Yeah, you can't... Yeah, bad idea to bet on you professional wrestling. You can't... It, like, A, you can't bet on it. B, I'm pretty sure those dudes can just do as many steroids as they want, and nobody's going to get upset because nobody is actually winning a we'll thing. We'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> but, like, but you see what I'm saying, yeah, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I get it, yeah. It's, it, it feels... Uh, it's a it's an interesting merger where you're, like, on the surface, you're like, yeah, dudes in tights, you know, getting physical with each other and sweaty. <laughs> uh, both of them, it's right? It's a different thing. <laughs> um, right. Uh, or the same. Yeah. Um, it, hyper-masculinity, rah, right? But, but one of them is dudes that are actually giving 
like on purpose giving each other concussions sure. and like broken eye sockets and whatever, right? And then the, the and like making them incidental. pass out. Yeah. And the other one, right? The other one is just like the part. It's just that's just kind of what happens, yeah. you know, as a as part of the job, but so, it's not like the goal. So sure, I would argue that um, professional wrestling has maybe more in common with the ballet and uh, soap operas than it does with combat sports. Uh, in in the sense that uh, you are expecting a performance that follows a specific narrative storyline, and the people who are doing so have to be in a specific physical condition yeah. to both convey the performance successfully and also to do the actual work of jumping very high and lifting he- very heavy things. Yeah, it's right? like Commedia dell'arte. Sure. Right? Meets... Uh... I'm sure every wrestling fan <laughs> knows exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Hulk Hogan is Pagliacci, right? That's right, yes. <laughs> um, but brother, I'm Hulk Hogan. <laughs> the sad clown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, right. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying, though, you know what I'm saying, though. Like, one is one is a, a sport, yeah. legitimately, that people say is a sport, and the other is, is a show. Yes. Right? Yeah. Both, both live entertainment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the way that you sort of combine them all is then you just also get uh um the um monster truck rallies in sure. at the same time and then so, it's just like trifecta but here's the thing with yeah. that I'll say is a lot of the UFC stuff or even professional sports in general has become more like professional wrestling than professional wrestling has become like sports if that if that makes sense by what i mean what i mean by that is the 24 hour news cycle around sports all the commentators and the and the ESPNs of it all mm-hmm. are making these storylines right. out of things like the UFC or professional football or basketball it's like we are taking or Simone Biles and her mental health or, or whatever, that yeah. girl that was with the with the um college basketball they just want to make yeah. a soap opera out of these people who are just trying to do sports so, that's right and, and so they're they're saying we're going to take that soap opera narrative that may or may not really apply, but right. we're going to definitely make it apply because we're just going to keep repeating it over and over again every day at 8 a.m. on ESPN or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is, right? So I think that, you know, this is a match that yeah, on the, uh, the once you scratch the surface may look a little different, but once you understand the business prospects behind it and what they can do with the narrative storytelling right. behind, around these things makes total sense. Um, and speaking of narrative storytelling, right? You know, what we haven't talked about yet the movie. <laughs> and and I, I mean, this movie, I loved. I saw it in theaters uh, when it came out. I was a big Darren Aronofsky fan at the time. I dropped off a little bit with his most couple most recent films, mm. but um, lo- loved this movie specifically very much in my wheelhouse. Yeah, um, and very clearly. Yeah, and so. <laughs> So yeah, uh, why don't you why don't you break uh, us down at least uh, get us started with the wrestler? Sure, I mean, so we are talking about the wrestler, uh, which was a film that was released in January of two thousand nine. It actually so it actually had like its official releases like in the late in the year of two thousand eight, right? And it hit the circuits at all the f- big festivals, um, and I think and they then, were pushing for a Mickey Rourke Oscar nom. Which they did get. Yeah. 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 They got a Mickey Rourke Oscar nom as well as a supporting actress for Marissa Tomei. Yeah. But she already got her Oscar. Yeah. She, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, yeah, they gave her the Oscar for my cousin Vinny because of this movie. It's like one of those, you know. What? I'm, I'm just, just kidding. Let's see. 
Uh, how dare you? Slander. <laughs> Slander. Now you're talking about one of my favorite things. I uh, also love my cousin Vinny and she deserved it because first of all, people in comedies never get awards and right. comedy is difficult. And she was great in that movie. You could have given Joe Pesci an award for that one too. Like, yeah. well, so she was amazing. And I feel like her winning. And then there was all of this, you know, hushed rumors mm -hmm. about her not actually winning, but they said the wrong name. And so then they gave it to her or what I've heard. The, I think we've sure. both heard those rumors. I feel like those rumors are part of the reason why they don't give awards to comedic performances as Maybe. much anymore because yeah. people are like, how, how could you possibly? Yeah. And it, and I'm sorry, but that was an iconic performance. Yeah, the, she was the Academy so good. doesn't really understand how difficult comedy is because right. it's made up of a bunch of actors who aren't comedians. So right, I, and and I think that I mean we've talked about this before, so we don't have to get too much into it. But it's like the um, the the people who are awarding things always go for the thing that is the showiest, the yeah. biggest. It's like not. I think I heard somebody say um, it's not the best actor. It's, it's most, the most, yeah. right? Is is really and the it. award for most acting goes to yeah, Brendan Fraser. Yeah, sorry, exactly. Brendan, I love you. Speaking of another Darren Aronofsky, yeah, film. absolutely. So, so here's what's funny. Um, I well, not what's funny, but what what's great about our podcast, I guess, is I I truly don't have the the film knowledge that you have. I don't really pay attention to who a director is. Mm. I'm starting to clearly sure, sure, sure. more, yeah. right? But as we were watching the film, you started to mention something about quote unquote the director. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I wonder who that is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I asked you, I was like, you're like, oh, this movie makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, do you want to know what else the director has done? And you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, okay. And so, th so that's exactly right. I was, <laughs> I was like, okay, Darren Aronofsky, which by the way, and I know I've already tweeted this like years ago or whatever, but every time I hear his name, I just think Darrenofsky. Yeah. Darren Aaron. Yeah. Uh, it should just be one word. Squish that thing together. Darrenofsky, man. Uh, yeah. So with Aronofsky's other film projects, the, the first one of which, uh, made me very uncomfortable back when I was, uh, I the guess. The first one you saw? Or the, the first, first one, one I saw. Okay. I never saw Pie, yeah. which was in 98. Requiem for a Dream yep. is one of those ones that I will never watch again. Sure. Great film. Sure. Too disturbing. Yep. M makes me too uncomfortable. Um, also, similarly, Black Swan is one of those ones that was wonderful, uh -huh. but I don't like being that uncomfortable sure. for that long. It's too much for my body right. to, to feel Just like that, that. level of stress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's too stressful. I don't, I, I'm, I'm happy to experience it the one time yeah. and, uh, and then I will be done forever. Yeah. I think I've seen The Fountain. Um, mm, you would know. You probably haven't. Okay. Because okay. you, you'd be like... I saw the fountain. What the hell was that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it, but it's a very like metaphysical sort of. And I know experience. you liked. Yeah. So he did Noah. I know you liked Noah. Noah was good. Yeah. Um, did not see mother and I have not seen the whale. Yeah. So the only one I haven't seen is mother um, because I was excited for it when it came out because I, I really did like Noah. And then uh, everybody was like, what the hell is this? And I was like, well, I'll still watch it someday, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, I think that the the list of things that we have that's like, well, it's not the top of my list, but I'll watch it someday. Yeah. It gets chipped away at slower and slower because of children. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that's kind of his, I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense to me, right? His body of work is movies that are a little bit dark, show that make you feel really uncomfortable yeah, as you're watching The underbelly of a specific subculture, whether it's like 
heroin culture, ballet, uh, you know, wrestling, biblical saviors, <laughs> you know, those <laughs> common subcultures. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, so this is one of those films that he said, you know, he had um, a list of 10 projects when he left film school that he really wanted to do. And so The Wrestler was mm-hmm. one of the ones on that list. And it was essentially in his mind, he had said to himself, you know, people have uh, done plenty of movies about boxing. Why has no one ever done a, a movie that's a, a serious film yeah. about wrestling? Yeah. And so he, uh, you know, he found a, a writer that he wanted to work with. The writer, by the way, Robert Siegel. He, uh, yeah. yeah, you know what his start was? Mm, was he in the Onion? Or he was or? the original editor for the Onion. Yeah, yeah. And he um, he was also he did a movie called Big Fan with uh, Pat Oswalt. It was his directorial debut. Okay, a couple other things that I recognize, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. So he he um, had seen some things that that Robert Siegel had done, and he basically was just like, hey, I I really like this and i know that he's a wrestling fan and so uh i would like to work with him on this project and they worked for for years like i guess he had uh, um aronofsky had had like a working version of the script and just wasn't happy with it and so he passed it off to siegel probably a good call yeah (laughs) Yeah. to actually write yeah Um, although what's interesting about the writing is that Mickey Rourke in a lot of his interviews basically says that he almost passed on the film because he wasn't super into the script mm-hmm. and that he didn't like the dialogue. And so what he actually did is he, he said, he said that he didn't think that the dialogue spoke the way that a lot of the guys in this world would sure. speak. And so he rewrote the dialogue for himself for pretty much every scene. I don't think it's smart. And I think a lot of, uh, actors who have experience in the worlds they're playing should do that or writers should have someone in those worlds take a script pass and just say like hey just what are the people saying here what would they normally say yeah um i i also like mickey Rourke is a boxer or he was a boxer for a while so he had some experience there that being said uh looking at the script choices that or the, the acting choices he's made after this movie right right uh might indicate that he's not the best one to choose his own projects so um yeah no i mean it sounded like he he has maybe is not very good at choosing projects. I mean, he's doing stuff that gets him paid, I suppose. Yeah, this was... I mean, he did this, he did Sin City, and then he did uh, Iron Man 2. And that was kind of the run of um, the Mickey Rourke-assant. <laughs> well, he did Sin City. Um, he did Sin City, the, the second one, Dame the Dame to Kill, to kill for. He also was in The Expendables. Um, right. He was in Domino, I guess, and Man on Fire. Oh, yeah. Well, Man on Fire was great. And yeah. Domino was also Tony Scott. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, he, uh, 2003, he was in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. 97, he was in The Rainmaker. Um, and I guess that was before, like right around the time he came out of his uh, hiatus that he took from acting. Got it. Okay. Um, he he was in Nine and a Half Weeks and then Angel Heart in 87. Right. right. Um, and, uh, and then I guess he had some films that did not really pan out very well. So he took a, a hiatus to become yeah. a professional boxer. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, he, he said, he also tells this story about how he was talking to his, um, psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is big in the, in the, the film world. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and was like, yeah, if Darren Aronofsky comes to you with a project, you should definitely just take that. Project. That's hilarious. Did you get like projects <laughs> chose by your psychiatrist? He's like, um, what are you talking? Yes. As your psychiatrist, you need yeah. to take this. Okay. So, you so next me. week, you know, great session. I think we're going to work a little bit more on your father issues next week. We made some good progress today. By the way, Darren Aronofsky left his number. <laughs> just give him a call back and take this role. Right. Exactly. Uh, well, so getting into the film then, and we can sort of start this 
this up. We are entering the world of not really professional wrestling, like amateur wrestling. Yeah, yeah. You know, this well, is that, that second tier. It's, it is professional wrestling insofar as they get, they get paid. paid. Yeah. Right? It's it's, not, but it's, so amateur wrestling means like I'm in college and I'm doing <laughs> the thing where I actually try and pin somebody and, and the outcomes are not determined and you are unitards and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. We are entering the world of like second level, um, middle tier. Yeah. Uh, professional wrestling yeah. where you're not really wrestling in giant stadiums yeah. in the way that we see on, on television, but instead more locally at rec centers and high schools and yeah. vets. Um, uh, I was gonna say vets offices, but that's not right. No. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like, like the, the veteran, like veterans uh, facilities. Yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, basically the way the world works right now is the WWE is the monolith. There are a couple versions like under them mm -hmm. that like, so AEW is another larger promotion. I think um, TNA is still around. Total nonstop action, but mm, TNA also I, yeah. means, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so th oh, they, we get it. they either are still around <laughs> or, or were and, and closed up recently. Um, below that, there's some, there's like Ring of Honor and stuff, but there, so those are all feeders into the WWE for the most part. Right. AEW is trying to compete directly and then got all their talent snatched by the WWE. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's interesting because they are both feeders. They are, they, it, what, what it, it seemed like in this film is that they are both, um, the place where you find rising and falling, falling stars, yep, yep, right? right? People who are coming up and people who are on their way out because yeah. of age or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and they are crossing paths yeah. essentially because yeah. you, you did see um, Mickey Rourke's character, the Ram, Randy, the Ram uh, with these like young upcoming kids yep. who were very respectful. He was like, you got talent, man, just work on this and work on that. And yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I loved seeing the scenes between all, all these guys backstage. So yeah. apparently this was all improvised. Oh, wow. And and a lot of these people were just wrestlers. Yeah. And so um, one of the things that you asked me is like, how did they make it feel so real? And one of them, one of the ways is Aronofsky said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do storyboards the way that I usually do. I'm not going to have like everything be scripted out. Right. And I'm going to instead let Mickey Rourke sort of feel out what he wants to do. Yeah. I'm going to let him talk to these guys who are performers. Yeah. And they can take a first pass at a conversation. If they start getting something, they'll take a second pass at the conversation. Yeah. And we will sort of be more freeform, especially in those scenes. Right. Um, and that makes, I think, for a lot of the realism. Yeah. And I think what, one thing that's great about that is these like professional wrestlers are really improvisers. Right. Like they in, in that role they will figure out a couple of what they call spots. So a couple mm -hmm. big spots in a match. I'm going to do this move at this point. You're going to hit me with this in the reverse. You're going to go for a pin attempt. And then that'll be the game, like whatever. Like, so they know kind of like big- The large beats. Big tent poles in yeah. there in, along the way to sort of keep the match going. But there are things called rest holds where you'll have somebody like, you'll, you'll uh, get them in a submission hold on the ground. Mm. And the whole time- they're resting and get, catching their breath right. and you're talking about what the next moves mm -hmm. are going to be or how you're going to transition into something else. So, right. Yeah. And apparently, and this is something that Rourke talks about in his training for mm -hmm. this, they have hand, hand signals yeah. and gestures that they use to signal what's coming up next yep. so that they can make sure that they are on the same page and yeah. being safe, as yeah. safe as you can be. Yeah. So the one thing I wanted to bring up is yeah. in talking about this, um, the way that wrestling was portrayed in the beginning of this film, mm -hmm. where it is in these small venues, these, you know, schools and, and kindergarten like rooms where right. is their dressing room and whatever. Like that's how all wrestling used to be. 
Okay. So uh, the early years of the WWE started in 1953. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) It was part of something called uh, the NWA, not that NWA, Uh, uh the uh, National Wrestling Alliance. And so they were basically a federation of multiple different wrestling promotions throughout the country. Okay. A lot in the Southeast, but, you know, going up and down the coast, really. Um, And so at this time, the WWE was called the CWC, Mm -hmm. and they had worked within the NWA for a while. And then at a certain point, I believe it was was 1963, they said, we're out. We want to do our own thing. And so they left the National Wrestling Alliance and created the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, the WWWF. (laughs) No, too many W's. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And I I feel like they figured that out pretty quickly. It's .com. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's it's, uh, the, what's his name from The Office, played by BJ Novak. uh, Oh, Ryan. Ryan, He has that uh, Mm -hmm. service called Wolf. Well, Mm -hmm. this is that. Yeah. Um, So they created this. and, And this is where Vince McMahon started. And you can't really understand how Vince McMahon got his start until you understand that he this was the world he came out of. His father... Uh, Vincent J. McMahon. So this is his real name. That was what yes. I was going to yeah. ask because it sounds like a really fake name. Yeah. So it's na- same name as his dad. Yeah. Um, his dad started the CWC and was working these regional promotions and worked with him until, I believe, until 1980 mm-hmm. um, at the end of the WWWF. And at this time, Vince McMahon was, uh, you know, he helped with the talent. He was an announcer at ringside, all mm-hmm. of this kind of stuff. Um, and it wasn't until... 1982 that the actual wwf came into existence and that's when vince mcmahon took over uh from his dad and started to run the organization himself so you you can't really understand who vince mcmahon is and and a lot of wrestling actually without understanding the fact that it was all of these separate tiny little regional things that got merged and pushed into this one major conglomerate when did it become a performance? Was it always, it was a, always perform- a performance? It was yeah. always just yeah. like a like a show. Yes. Yeah. Now there are um, there are people called shoot wrestlers, and uh-huh. shoot wrestlers are ones who really hit. Mm-hmm. And so that that was a thing in in addition, um, but predominantly a lot of the stuff once the definitely by the time the World Wrestling Federation showed up, mm-hmm. it was performance, not sport. Okay. Well, I mean, that's very interesting. And so so they started their matches in 1980. And then we go into uh, Randy the Ram with yeah. his first match. Uh, he was a hit in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a hit in the 80s. Funny story. So they have him playing. Uh, he, he they, they have him playing a little bit further on in the film, uh, a video game. Yeah. That yeah. was a real video game that they built for this it, movie. It looked like it. I mean, it's, yeah. It seemed like it was uh, it was based on the Nintendo Entertainment System. So a little 8-bit uh, thing probably didn't take too long to build. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, they had somebody like build, yeah, build, build it. Um, a programmer named Randall Fiorino, <laughs> and um, they basically just had a playable demo that worked with an interface and had these like routines that featured 1980s era like graphics and yeah. music. Basically, yeah. love it. Yeah. Uh, well, so from there, we after his first match, we're sort of we dive into his just daily life. Yep. You yep. know, and we get to see what what everything looks like in in the in the daily life of a professional wrestler that is not in the yeah. the top tier slash grocery stock boy. <laughs> right. I mean, he he lives in a trailer yep. in a trailer park. He is apparently not able to pay his rent necessarily as yeah. consistently as you would like to see, and. Uh, he works kind of a like a shitty job at a grocery store as a stalker, mm-hmm. um, and his boss is a, just a tremendous asshole. Yeah, played by Todd Berry, the comedian. Okay. Yeah. 
All right. Well, saw him once at the Comedy Cellar. He's pretty funny. There you go. Well, he uh, he was he's a big jerk in this movie. Yeah, he sure was. Um, <laughs> and um, he he also enjoys going to strip clubs yeah. and uh, has a has a lady friend at one of the strip clubs to whom he feels affection, and I think he thinks that she has the same kind of affection, but she's always sort of on the job as yeah. well. She's also so I think yeah she may like him and think that he's like an interesting guy and likes right. talking to him and stuff. But she is like everyone in that particular profession has to be guarded, right? Like a lot of guys are creeps <laughs> and so yeah. and reveal themselves as such. So she's nice and especially and, a lot of the guys that would just go to strip clubs on a regular basis. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Who know the bouncer. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so one of the one of the things that I was really wondering about is how true to life is this? Now, I, I got a little bit of a taste for it as I was doing, obviously, yeah. uh, research for the movie. Yeah. But I'd love to know, like, I'd love to know. <laughs> Because this feels, it's so gritty. Yeah. And also, how do you, like, how do you make a living yeah. with this kind of life? Yeah. So it is, it, it is both real and not real in right. the sense that most wrestlers probably don't end up look be, being like this guy, especially mm-hmm. nowadays, right? So mm-hmm. um, the, the downsides to being a professional wrestler is you work on contract with your wherever you're performing, which is the WWE or AEW or whatever. Right. No, like 401ks. There's no, no, you're responsible for your own finances. You're responsible Mm -hmm. for, I think they do provide you healthcare now, but it doesn't, it does not continue after your contract is up. And so like, if you are, if you make some decent money Mm -hmm. and you can save that, you're okay. Um, I, I, in preparation for this, I reached out to professional wrestler and uh, personal <laughs> hero of mine, Mick Foley, mm. um, to see if he wanted to join. And, and he, he has his own podcast. He so said, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, he, he has his own podcast. Go listen to that if you'd like. Uh, but the the thing, like he's he's got a nice family and a nice house and a, a place. Uh, I stumbled on it on the internet. He's apparently worth $14 million or something. Okay. Like, so not like, he's not like uh, an actor who's worth like a hundred million, but he's like, you know, yeah. should be comfortable. Right, hopefully. right. Um, but like, I also saw him at a, a screening of a movie one time and he he's hard to get around. He's He's been beat up and we'll talk more about why. So right. like, so the, the physical toll that you see mm-hmm. on Randy the Ram in this movie, a hundred percent true to life. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the fact yes. that they're all living in trailer parks or, you know, working grocery store stock counters, not necessarily the case. Um, when it is the case, it's probably due to, um, addiction or things like that, that have caused them to, to spend the money that they made. Yeah. I, I want them to all unionize and then yeah. to, here's, here's the thing I feel about professional wrestling or, and also football and really any kind of sports situation is, uh, it, and even for college sports is if you are doing a thing where you're making an organization, a lot of money off of your body yeah. and the entire time at any moment you could be taken out because your body gives way yeah. because of the thing that you're doing. Yeah. You should have healthcare for yep. life. For life. Oh, yep. oh, are you a, a baseball player for Florida State? Right. And you blow out your knee. A, you a hundred percent get to finish your schooling. Right. You get to have your your schooling. And B, you can just you can go to Florida State and get free healthcare for the rest of your life. Right. right because right. like you don't have to, right? But it's an option. Yeah. Because uh you they try have you used helped make your the school body. money. And right. so yeah, yeah. Yeah. They have used your body and you've injured yourself forever yeah. based off of that. And they make 
a lot of money off of that. Yeah. So uh, similarly, <laughs> I, I really like it, it feels like if you're doing wrestling in these kinds of situations. Um, yeah. Now, that said, none of this would be necessary if we just had free health care. But that's sure. a different podcast. Episode. Yes. So also, I would say that if you are a uh, person interested in unionizing and maximizing labor power in the WWE, it would be a great time to collect everybody's opinions on this and do it now. There mm. is no point in time in which you will have yeah. more leverage than right now when federal regulators have to approve this merger. Yeah. So imagine like a major media company not providing, uh, you know, unionized uh, healthcare to SAG actors or to people in the director's guild, right? Mm -hmm. This is no longer a wrestling company. This is now a major media organization. Right. You need to treat it as such. Right. Okay. Anyway. Off my soapbox. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah, so that that's, I, I think that you would find uh, a wide variety of what people can do after their careers yeah. um, in terms of the, the ups and downs. It, it's not impossible that someone ends up living in a trailer addicted to painkillers and, um, you know, suffering in the way that Randy the Ram is. Uh, however, it's it's not certainly a destiny. Sure. I mean, I it, it, it's interesting. It's, it's not a destiny, but at the same time, when I was listening to uh, Mickey work talk about the training that he did for this, first of all, he was not uh, a huge fan of wrestling before this film sure, sure. at all. I mean, and he he said that he he openly says like he did not have any real respect for these guys. Sure. But then once he actually started training and learning about what these guys do, mm -hmm. um, he gained tremendous amounts of respect yeah. for them. And the fact that it, it's you know obviously it is choreographed or it, and they know who's going to win, but they are still absolutely hurting their bodies. Yeah. I will say this though. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who think it's always scripted, you should look up something called the Montreal screw job. <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's a little teaser. Just a little, go down the Wikipedia <laughs> hole on that one. Uh, well, hold on. It involves, since you, while you look that up, what you're looking for, it mm -hmm. involves Vince McMahon and a guy by the name of Bret Hart, um, who was in what, uh, what is known as kind of the next, next generation, new generation era of, uh, of WWE superstars, he had the WWE title and he was fighting somebody named Shawn Michaels in Montreal. Bret Hart <laughs> is from Montreal. Vince McMahon said, had come to an agreement that uh, Bret the Hitman Hart was going to win, but his contract was up after that match. That was his last contracted match. If he won and was the title holder, he could have left WWF and gone to WCW, their rival, carrying the WWF title. And there's and there's nothing they could have done about it. So he told Bret Hart he was going to win. Instead, had Shawn Michaels give him the super kick, go to pin him, and he did a fast count. And the fast count got Bret Hart and took gave the, the title to Mike, Shawn Michaels. And Bret Hart was like screwed out of that. You're so, so into this. I'm just saying. Storyline. I'm just it, the thing is, that's Vince McMahon. He will do anything yeah. to screw anybody out of a thing that he thinks is, <laughs> he's entitled to. It's a story about him, not about the match. He's that kind of person. All right. Uh, well, so the, the only other thing I was going to say is I'm um, talking about like the preparation that Rourke had for this role. Yeah. Um, so, so basically, um, he took, uh, th this was in an interview with Aronofsky on Terry Gross. Yeah. And um, she was asking about the preparation and he told her that, you know, they, it took a year and a half to raise the money for the film sure. and that it was about two years, basically from the, the time that, that, um, that Rourke signed on to the time that they started filming that he could train. And so he just, he hired these, 
former Israeli commando trainers and um, former cage fighter and like just went ham lifting yeah. twice a day for those two years. Yeah. I mean, it shows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks, he's got a, a very a interesting physique because he's in shape right. and you can tell, but he's still Mickey Rourke and he's a little bit older. So it definitely looks like a wrestler who's aged like, oh, yeah. into this. Yeah, Absolutely. Really he And he was like, um, constantly had like shakes, you know, like protein shakes. He yeah. was who's taking in 7,000 calories a day. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, I bet, and I guess his dad, like his actual dad in real life was a former Mr. New York bodybuilder. Oh, that's funny. Um, so he, I mean, he did a ton to, to get himself ready for this role in addition to doing uh, eight and a half weeks of training with former professional wrestlers as oh, well. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Moving on to the next part of the film. So, you know, we we get a look into what his life is like. We get a look into what it's like with him uh, meeting up with Cassidy at the strip club. Um, and he is uh, getting ready for a big match mm-hmm. uh, with someone called The Butcher. The Yeah, he, uh, The Butcher is the, is it the uh, extreme match. Yeah. yeah, it's his like it's his first sort of dip into this world of extreme wrestling, basically, yeah. where it's you know they're they're getting together their own um, tools and uh, things that they're going to use against each other yeah. at like bodegas and right. <laughs> hardware yeah. stores yeah. Um, that they're going to be using against each other. And you see this whole routine that he has where he's getting his hair dyed at a salon. He is getting up to, with some guy to get like fresh, clean uh, steroids. steroids. Yeah. And he's getting professionally tanned and working out and doing all these things to get himself ready for this performance. Yeah. Um, and in the meanwhile, he's hoping, and, and all the while he's hoping that he's going to, you know, sort of make it big with this sort of re-entry. I yeah. Think. The idea would be that he has this really great performance. He get, makes some noise and the, the big show is what they call it is like, is going to bring him back right. you know, as a re- return performer. Right. And, uh, and while he's getting ready, he is also getting pitched for this 20 year, this separate show, right? This yeah. 20 year reunion show that is also an yeah. extreme match. Yeah. So, well, the 20 year reunion show is not an extreme match. Oh, it's not. No, no. It's it's the one that they show at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, And so. I guess the the extreme match just the ones with the guy with the staple gun. That's right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, a couple things in in how this relates to real life is um, so we'll we'll talk extreme match first, right? Mm -hmm. So, there was a promotion that was short lived called ECW. Yeah. Extreme Championship Wrestling. Right. Now, they were sort of in a, a quote-unquote extreme, hyper-violent version of wrestling that involved, you know, tables, ladders, chairs, fire, thumbtacks, like all this stuff. Like really brutal, you know, violent right. things. Um, and th- they were run by this guy named Paul Heyman. Um, and sure enough, uh, as I said, what same thing Vince McMahon did, buying all of these little wrestling promotions around the South to create the WWF, Yeah, he ended up the ECW went bankrupt and he bought them and the rights to some of their you know, characters and stuff and started to bring them in, brought in Paul Heyman, who then became a manager to some of the biggest stars in the WWE. Um, the same thing happened with WCW. WCW was their big Monday night competition. And in fact, for years beat uh, WWE on what they would call the Monday night wars. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, once WCW kind of screwed things up, they ended up giving their title to uh, David Arquette, Okay. Yeah. To promote a movie that he was in. Scream? No, Three. not even. No. Uh, <laughs> gosh, it was called like Rumble to Rumble or something. I don't know oh what it was. Oh my gosh. Anyway, uh, but 
they crashed and burned and he acquired that company and brought in their wrestlers to the WWF. Now, the, the funny thing about that is mm-hmm. many of the wrestlers who were there at WCW had already been in the WWF before right. and had left to go to WCW. WCW was owned by Time Warner AOL at the time. Okay. And so if they were going to the WWF, they would have had to give up their paychecks from AOL Time Warner. And they said, oh, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to sit on our asses for nine months and collect paychecks from AOL. And then after that, we'll sign our contract with the WWF, (laughs) which I thought was uh, very smart. So speaking of promotions, there was a funny promotion that they actually did for The Wrestler. Okay. Okay. I don't know if you if you saw any of this. They did a promotion with the WWE to help promote this no, film. No, didn't hear, I didn't see that. And so it was uh, an on-screen angle. Do you know an angle? Yep, yep, yep. An angle is like a fictional story that they use in, in wrestling, basically. Yep. And so it involved, uh, so this is some some wrestling jargon, the heel. Yes, the heel uh, is the bad guy. The heel is the bad guy. And, and is it the baby face? Yeah, no. or the face. The yeah. face is the, the good guy, right? So um, the heel in this particular uh, angle or scenario was Chris Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess he was criticizing like Ric Flair and other- Nature Boy. Yeah. I don't know any of these people. (laughs) I saw Ric Flair. Ric Flair's from Charlotte. Oh, okay. His daughter is named Charlotte. She is a professional wrestler right now. Okay. As I said, everything in this business family. Yeah. Um, But yeah, she, uh, she's one of the big draws in the women's card. And Ric Flair was one of the big, uh, like most popular wrestlers in, in history. Okay. Well, so uh, he was he was criticizing Ric Flair for, I guess, embarrassing himself and then also like criticizing Mickey Rourke for his portrayal in The Wrestler. And at uh, the 15th Screen Actors Guild Awards, Rourke said that he was going to be competing at WrestleMania 25. (laughs) And basically um, he he basically told Chris Jericho, he said, uh, quote, Chris Jericho, you better get in shape because I'm coming after your ass. Okay. According to, um, I, I found this in a um, in a Today Show article Love online. It. So ass is a asterisk asterisk. <laughs> um, so. So he announced that he was going to fight Chris Jericho. And then I guess there was like a confrontation between the two on Larry King Live. <laughs> and um, Rourke said he had second thoughts. And then he said, well, I'm just going to go and show up at WrestleMania, but I'm just going to be like a guest. I'm not going to actually participate. So he's like sitting on the sidelines as a guest and he's just there. And Jericho is like talking smack in the ring at Rourke. And, and so, so then Rourke, the yeah. Rourke is like, well, I don't I mean, I guess I'll get up and do it. And like, he's sort of playing to the crowd. And it's, it's so funny because there is so much showmanship yeah. on both sides. And so you can really see why, again, these uh, wrestlers would be such good performers yeah. in these improv scenes. Cause that's, that's what they do. Yep. Right. That's just, that's all they do. Yep. But he does get up basically and uh, do a little like wrestling match with Jericho and like knocks him down, knocks him unconscious. There you go. Uh, there's a link in the show notes <laughs> yeah. for anybody who would like to see this match. Uh, but it was, I mean, I think it was just, it was a funny sort of thing where I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the perfect place to, to advertise this. Yeah, you totally. Know? And so I wanted to uh, briefly just give you a couple names. So, so you mentioned like, right. He's trying to get back to, this 20-year reunion show that maybe right. is going to get him back into the, the big show and in, in, in the WWE or whatever the version of that is in the movie. Um, so here are a couple names from the various 
generations of wrestlers. Okay. And I just want to see if you recognize these. Okay. Okay. So the golden era, 1982 to 1993. Yeah. Hulk Hogan, we've talked about. Sure. Yeah. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh, yes. Yes, of course. Well, because he was the mayor. No, sorry. He was the governor, governor of Minnesota. Of Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Andre the Giant. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he was in The Princess Bride. Yeah, R.I.P. Uh, this one's probably you haven't heard of Jimmy Superfly Snuka. No. Okay, and then Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. No. Okay, those are those, I just and then Macho Man Randy Savage. Of course. Of course, in the Spider Man movie, the Sam Raimi's first Spider Man movie, he what? played he played Bonesaw. No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so then in the new generations era, I'm gonna know none of these 93 to 97. Do you know The Undertaker? Oh, yes, okay. Do you know Yokozuna? Nope, do you know either Brett or Owen Hart? No, okay, and then Shawn Michaels would be the only other one. Um, Shawn Michaels is the lamest, it truly like he was the heartbreak kid. The okay, (laughs) uh, and then in the now, this you probably do know the attitude era, you will probably maybe not recognize. Do you remember Degeneration X or DX? No, okay. Did you, (laughs) when you were in high school or middle school, did you have a bunch of kids running around putting X signs over their crotches and thrusting their hips at people? No, just X's on their hands and saying that they were vegan. Okay, so so the there was a big, (laughs) a big arc in my middle school days of kids just going like like X's over their crotches and thrusting at people. I, you know what? I've seen some uh, gesture like that in films okay. of some kind, but it's usually like, I, I don't, I didn't realize it was a reference to a, yeah. um, like was, a, a, a wrestling yeah. thing. Yeah. They would, they would do that to their, their enemies and say, uh, suck it. And so that was the, that was a fun, fun time to be a young boy. Oh yeah. I do think I've seen this in things like pitch perfect or something. Sure. I wouldn't know about that. But two others that you may have heard of, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Of course. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Well, sure. Okay. So, well, sure. So the point that I'm trying to make with these names is you don't actually ever die in wrestling. You're never fully out. If you if you made it to that level of stardom that they're yeah. saying that Randy the Ram had, they bring you back all the time. Like, Ric Flair was wrestling until he was in his 70s. Like... Right. These I mean, things, it was, yeah, it was kind of a weird thing to see the the Randy, the Ram, because I would think he would be a big draw yeah. for people like yourself who remembered wrestling when they were kids. Sure. I mean, one of the biggest WrestleMania events uh, in history was The Rock versus Hulk Hogan. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Across the eras. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I do have brothers and I think that Christopher especially (laughs) was very into wrestling for a while. So, I mean, I have heard some of these names, some of them. No, I do. I I don't. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. So getting back to the film, uh, we have Randy the Ram has his match with the butcher, Mm -hmm. which leaves him covered in uh, staples and staple guns. By the way, uh, not in this match, but in the very first one where he like he takes the thing to his head, the razor blade to his head he actually does take a razor blade to his head yeah, yeah. in real life i'm not surprised for, for the filming He's of insane this person, yeah. um but yeah so the butcher i think the butcher does actually like staple gun himself oh yeah you know um yeah. and so he gets all these staples in him um the scene between him and the butcher beforehand where yeah. they're talking it out was completely improvised cool okay and uh the aronofsky said that you know this is they they explain it a little bit more for the audience yeah. than what the, two what guys would, would. Happen. Yeah, yeah. um but you know they do go over beats like that and they do yeah. have have discussions sort of and the way they like do it in that. the movie it's like they're this is the rams first extreme uh right. know, match so he he does a little asking and that helps the exposition yeah. right exactly Exactly. Uh, but it is too much for his body. 
Yeah. <laughs> and at the end of the match in the locker room, he sort of falls over. He throws up and 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 uh, falls over and blacks out. Yep, and has a heart attack, basically. Has a, yeah. has a heart attack, has to undergo coronary artery bypass surgery, and yeah. is told by the doctor that he can no longer, like, if he wrestles, he will die. Yeah. Yep. Basically. Uh, and has a gnarly scar right down the center of his chest uh, just to to show for it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he's, he's pretty upset about that. Um goes and yeah. tries to drown his sorrows at the strip club. Yep. And so the the thing that connects here to real life a little bit is um, in 1993, yeah. uh, Vince McMahon was indicted in federal court okay. after a steroid controversy had engulfed the entire WWE promotion. And temporarily, he had to cede control of the organization over to his wife, Linda, while he mm-hmm. was under investigation. So the case went to trial the next year. He was accused basically of doing the distribution of steroids to the wrestlers. Um, So one witness for the prosecution um, who had wrestled in 1992 testified that McMahon had ordered him to use steroids, but his, you know, eventually like, like all things that go into court like this, the rich white guy (laughs) tends to to win. Right. Uh, So Vince won in spite of even people like Hulk Hogan going and saying that steroid use was incredibly common. Um, so the, the, clearly it's common. Yeah, Look at these people. <laughs> yes, the, big, the biggest star in the business said that it was incredibly common. Although Hulk Hogan said he was never pressured by McMahon. Right. It, it seems as though it was, I don't know, not exactly the best case by the prosecution that they could have presented. Um, they were trying to tie Vince to a doctor who had been convicted uh-huh. and that doctor worked with the WWF to distribute the steroids. Uh, so the connections may have been spurious, but they were certainly there. Is the, is because it feels like the controversy is just steroids are against the law. Is that is that kind of it? Steroids are against the law, correct? Like um, it's not like oh they're performance enhancing in any kind of way. It's not about performance enhancing. It is in a sense um, you are a distributor of illegal drugs. Gotcha. These drugs are okay. illegal to provide. So um, it's more of a like drug pretenses. cartel like right. distribution of illegal drugs. It's not like again because it's the. Cause it's not like baseball. Correct. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, but it, it seems to me, um, other than the whole like drug steroids are illegal thing, they should just be able to kind of pump themselves with whatever they want if they so choose to, cause that's their body there. I guess, but that's also like saying like, well, I'm, uh, you know, I, I work for a company where I have to be doing a lot of research really quickly. So I should be able to do cocaine and it's not a problem. It's like, no, like, <laughs> You should definitely, I mean, you definitely should worry about people's health, right? I've got a look at my face. I'm like, well. My company should not incentivize me using a dangerous drug that could cause my heart to fail right. so that they can exploit my labor for money. Yes. Like, okay. Yes, so, I, I, yes, absolutely. I guess, I guess all I'm saying is I. Don't make me rock bottom you. <laughs> Um, no, no, no. I, so, 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 uh, something that's interesting regarding steroids is, um, the casting again of Mickey Rourke. So he, they claim that the whole premise is he did this completely drug-free mm-hmm. that the, the, the shape that he got in was completely, and it's funny because in the, um, in the interview that that Aronofsky did with Terry Gross, she said, obviously he did this completely drug free. So how did he do that? Right, right. Right. That was the premise. That was like was literally like, okay, the setup. <laughs> literally the setup of the question when he went into it. But then there was also talking about the casting of Randy the Ram. And I guess Nicolas Cage was originally considered oh, wow. for the role. No, nope. <laughs> And um, and I guess there, there's some dispute between different parties over like why they went with 
why they went with Mickey Rourke and Cage basically he disputes that um, he dropped out to like let Rourke take the role. And instead he was like, yeah, I just didn't think I was going to be able to do that without steroids, which I would never do sure. in the amount of time. And it's like, well, but then we find out that it was two years. So but you it might've been more than two years if he had to raise more money for Nicolas Cage. <laughs> like- right. Yeah. It was, so it, it's very interesting. And then like one other note uh, that's kind of funny about steroids is I guess the actor that plays um, the the steroid dealer yeah. in the film was arrested a few months after the film's release for steroid possession. <laughs> of course. And for assaulting a federal officer. Oh, uh, well, okay. That, that one you didn't have to do, buddy. <laughs> the first one you probably could have gotten away with if you were like, it was just getting character. <laughs> you were like, just, you know, we're casting, just give me the steroid guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, I wanted to mention the steroid stuff from Vince just because is again, this is a guy. He mm. plays the bad guy on his own show, right? Yeah. He plays the evil owner, the manipulative guy, the one who's like spineless, but always scheming. Um, and, and he in real life is in many circumstances, a villain. Like, um, he even has a relationship, uh, a strained relationship with his son and daughter. So Shane McMahon, his son, his daughter, Stephanie McMahon, Stephanie has worked for the business. She was the interim CEO for a while. Um, she worked for con- like with content. She is married to the chief content op- officer. Who's a guy named Paul Levesque, who was a wrestler named triple H. Like she's very involved. Uh, meanwhile, Shane McMahon has been an on-again, off-again, on-air talent, but he's also been kicked out of the business twice now. Well, So it's it's really interesting. Again, everything's family in this, this place. Yeah. Well, speaking of strained relationships with your daughter named Stephanie. Mm. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> uh, Evan Rachel Wood's yeah, character. Right. Love Evan Rachel Wood. Started showing up. Her name is Stephanie. Yeah, yeah. He has a strained relationship <laughs> with her, and uh, he's trying to build it back. Yeah. Better. Better. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, I really like Evan Rachel Wood. I think she's a very talented actor. I think that the fact that she only shows up in like the second act yeah. in, in in real in like in real uh, effect is unfortunate. Sure. I wish she were given a little more nuance in this movie. Um, I understand why it was hard to do. Right. You I know? mean, I think that he tried to sort of layer in yeah. pieces about her life. Like she's, I guess, a lesbian that lives with this girlfriend. They sort right. of hint at and she's got her own sort of going to school. Going and, on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I, I think like the, at the very jump, like when he goes to see her, mm-hmm. she escalates real quick to being super pissed off and and, and like screaming at him. Mm-hmm. Like that escalation seems like there was more for her to do and they had to cut something out or whatever. So I don't know. I feel like maybe there was more Evan Rachel Wood in this movie at some point. It's, I mean, very possible. I, uh, I I know that they had nothing but wonderful things to say about her. She was only 20 when they filmed wow. this. Yeah. Um, I guess she turned 21 during the promotions of this and they had like a keg party for her <laughs> or something. But uh, she was she was very young when they filmed this and uh, she does just a remarkable job. I She's she's fantastic. It's it's nice to see somebody who is so big and so talented when they're in a younger role yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so he is basically trying to get back into the good graces of his daughter because he realizes he has no one in his life. He has nothing going on Mm -hmm. and, uh, he, she rejects him and, uh, he goes back and he cries at the strip club as you do, you know, (laughs) to the other woman that is only barely in his life. Right. Uh, the stripper Cassidy and and her clothes even less. So right. Somehow convinces her to see him outside of work. Yeah. 
and uh, they go shopping for clothes. He picks out a horrendous jacket for awful. his daughter. Just terrible. Just the most awful. But fortunately, he does take uh, he he does take Pam. AKA Cassidy's advice yeah. and get a second jacket goes and gives it to his daughter and, and they end up going and hanging out on the boardwalk and uh, becoming friends again. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they have a nice little sort of moment of reconciliation. And this is kind of when things start to look up for a brief moment. Right. For the and, Ram. <laughs> and he realizes he doesn't need this wrestling life and yeah. he officially retires. Yep. Right. Yep. He actually says that he's, he's done. He's, okay. He officially retires. He starts working the deli counter at the grocery store that he's at. And he actually likes it. Like right. he's, he gets to perform a little bit for these people. Having a good time. Yeah. That also improvised with real customers. Nice. I love it. Yeah. They didn't close down the grocery store. They just <laughs> let people continue to come in and he just gave them the food. It's great. I love it. <laughs> he did. He did a very, he was very convincing at being charming. Right. Um. Well, so, when the Ram retires um, from wrestling, yeah. there was another person who last year retired from wrestling. His name is Vincent K. McMahon. <laughs> okay. So uh, this retirement was not because Vince felt he was getting older. Uh, no, this is because Vince got uh, basically stuck in a sexual harassment scandal Ugh. where he had had an affair with an employee and had uh, paid a uh secretive $3 million settlement to said employee. Mm. Um, of course, he is married uh, and he has a family and this is a family business. Right. And so while the investigations were ongoing, he said uh, in June of 2022, he was going to step down as chairman and CEO. This is when Stephanie McMahon, his daughter, stepped in as interim CEO. Mm -hmm. um, and then in July, just a month later, mm -hmm. he announced his retirement completely from the business. Gotcha. What is illegal about paying hush money to a person with whom you had a, an affair? I don't believe it was a matter of illegality. I okay. am not sure. I think it is just a, what we call a bad look in the business. I gotcha. Okay. Um, okay. So the Wall Street Journal reported that Mr. McMahon had agreed to pay a secret $3 million settlement to an employee with whom uh, he was said to have had an affair and that she, I'm sorry, and that the board had been investigating it since April. So mm. the board can make the decision to remove the CEO or whatever. I gotcha. The I investigation gotcha. unearthed other non-disclosure agreements involving claims of misconduct by Mr. McMahon. So it was not just the one potentially, it was a pattern of behavior. This is unsurprising. Mm -hmm. um, and so that caused him to step down. Now the, the reason- There's that always this, a pattern of behavior. Right, and this, the reason <laughs> that he might've done this mm -hmm. is because they needed to shore up the value of the company before a sale, right? Right. Um, and here's what, here's the sort of, there's, there's always a quote, right? That just indicates what someone's thinking. Okay. So when he st stepped down, he published this statement on the WWE's website. Vince says, as the majority shareholder, I will continue to support WWE in any way I can. <laughs> Saying, I can do with this company what I want. I hold the majority of Just the shares. Just so you all know. I am going to step back, though. As a reminder, yes. I still own all of y'all. Right. That right. is that is the way it went. So, Power move. I'd have done it. Yeah. So they had ended up having uh, co-CEOs, uh, Stephanie McMahon and this guy, Nick Khan, uh, Stephanie will not have a role in the company after the sale is complete. Mm -hmm. Nick Khan will, though. He'll he'll maintain his his current role as uh, I think co-chief executive or whatever uh, or whatever whatever it is. He's, mm -hmm. he's going to keep doing the same thing. Okay. Um, and so you know, I just like to to make mention of these things. Like sometimes we retire because we find happiness in our life. Sometimes we retire because 
we found a little too much happiness in our life and had to tell people to shut up about it. <laughs> well, speaking of somebody who needs to find happiness, hey. uh, Cassidy rejects Randy. Sure does. And he does not take it very well. No, makes him a, sad. Yeah. And, and I told you, there's only one part in this movie that I can't watch. <laughs> The part where in the in the butcher shop yes. or the deli shop yeah. where, uh, yeah, he's he's upset and also using a circular saw to cut meat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are two things that you, you shouldn't do. You should have a clear head yeah. when slicing ham he, is the general rule, I think. Yeah. He's also a guy who hurts himself for a living. And so <laughs> when he gets really upset and depressed and is tired of being yelled at, he just jams his thumb into the saw. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting because this is one of those films where, okay, well, so he gets, he gets very upset, hurts himself, covers his face in blood. Mm-hmm. He's also upset because he doesn't want to be recognized as right. being a wrestler while he's, you know, working his job, yeah. um, covers his face in blood and just completely blows up at all of the customers yeah. and then leaves in a huff. Yeah. And, it's it's interesting because this is a obviously a world that is very focused on hyper masculinity. Yeah. Right. That's the whole thing. And also this is very clearly like the result of years, an entire lifetime of toxic masculinity, yeah. of not being able to uh properly deal with feelings. Yeah. <laughs> and knowing how to properly process the bad things that are happening in your life. And yeah. so it results in physical injury, lashing out at other people, losing your job, self-harm, self-harm all of these things, making terrible decisions. Yes. <laughs> the, like, the third act of this movie, you were just like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. So the, the third act of this movie, I was like, what are you doing? And then also just the entire, uh, the entire fight where there's just blood everywhere. Yeah. I was just yelling like, this is how you get diseases. Yeah. 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 That's right. <laughs> um, yes. The, the third act is just this downward spiral of him making one terrible decision after yeah. another because he doesn't know how to process properly process his, his feelings. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So give your kids hugs, everybody, so they don't turn into rain. Tell them it's okay to have big feelings. Yeah. It's okay, you know? And yeah. then take some big, deep breaths and, uh, it. yeah, it's yeah. okay. And yeah. so he, he then signs back up for that 20-year uh, yes. thing, even though his doctor said, if you wrestle again, you might die. Right. His, his daughter is now out of his life. Um, his stripper is now out of his life. Mm-hmm. He well, she has, shows up. She eventually does show up, but he doesn't know she's going to show up. Right. That's true. That's and- true. Uh, and his job is out of his life. He has nothing left going for him. Yeah. Even the kid doesn't want to play games with him anymore yeah, on yeah. the Nintendo system. It's too old. It's not Call of Duty 4. And so he's just like, fuck it. I'm going to go wrestle until my heart gives out. Yep. Which is a country song, right? It <laughs> should be. Yeah. We could write it. <laughs> so Randy is wrestling again. Yep. So final match, he... He's facing off against another sort of like big 80s icon called the Ayatollah, mm-hmm. who is modeled after the Iron Sheik, who is a real opponent of Hulk Hogan in the sort of Reagan pro-America anti-Middle Ooh. East days. Uh-huh. And this taking place in 2008, like peak, like everyone hates George W. Bush years. Right, uh, right. Like this is, uh, it's it's definitely invo- evocative of that time where in these USA USA chance and it's it's wild and it's so funny because you have this dude who uh, again is an actual wrestler playing this part um, in the film yeah Uh, and there I mean I guess that was like the Iron Sheik or whatever is a real person who is like I'm going to make my living being hated by 
ultra patriotic, yeah. like right wing, like nut jobs, right wing yeah. nut jobs that hate my guts. Yeah. And I'm going to take all their money. <laughs> That's right. I mean, basically, yeah. <laughs> they're like, their their racism uh, we'll is going to bill, pay yeah. my pay my rent. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, this part of the film is like, it's sort of the natural end, like of what you would expect. Uh-huh. And so you see, uh, Cassidy slash Pam shows up and, um, tries said, to stop him, tries to stop him, tries to say like, Hey, I'm, I'm here now. And he's like, yeah, but this is now. Like, yeah. I'm literally about to walk out the curtain. Well, it's funny because earlier you you called him an addict. And uh, yeah. I assumed you were saying he was an addict of like painkillers, drugs or something. But it, maybe he's just an addict of the, the spotlight. I mean, I think partially, yes. There, there's know? the scene when he first walks down to the deli counter. Mm-hmm. And you hear the sound design, the way it's shot over the shoulder, like he's walking to the ring. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. And he hears the the crowd, you know, chanting as like imaginary right. uh, crowd chanting as he walks through and then he kind of pauses at the plastic sheeting to get out into the area and then walks through like he's going out to perform, right? Yeah. And so yeah, he's he's definitely addicted to that element of it for sure. Right. And it's it's interesting because you know, the the thing that I said to you, I think in the very first scene uh-huh. of this uh was was basically something along the lines of like how this is this feels like it would be like what it would be like backstage at like a stripper sure like sure. club at a strip yep. club we, and and I I had not seen this movie. Yeah. I didn't know that we were about to meet a, stri- a stripper and that there were going to, I mean, literally the whole movie is this theme of a performer whose aging body yeah. is a ticking clock on their, on their career. Right. Right. That's the, the their body is the thing that is betraying them and, and time keeping, is running out. Yeah. Right. And going to keep them from doing the thing that, that I guess they love, but more importantly is like paying their bills and, um, and then drawing that same connection or parallel to, to Cassidy, right. Who is also an aging stripper. Yeah. But I think you can see like the way out for her. Like she's like, I'm doing this, you know, so that I can support my my kid, but I, I have a kid and I'm trying to get out of this you know, this career or whatever. I mean, know. she is saying that she's going to get out of the career and they're going to move somewhere else that has like lower rent. But sure. I'm like, okay, but like, what are you going to, they they never I mean, give a, a backup plan. That's true. But, for what she's going to do yeah. outside of that career. But she, she does plan to leave. Yeah. Right. And, but, and, and the, and the implication is eventually you're gonna, either you choose to leave or you just get made fun of by like little shitty 12, you know, 20 right. year olds right, at right. the club and you just don't get paid money the way that you used to. Yep. Yep. Um, and sort of a similar thing. It's just, it's just, it's just very interesting um, to see that that he is, he but he's he's addicted to it, right? He, yeah. He needs to have that spotlight, and he 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 wants to. He's doing this because he enjoys doing yeah the doing this act. And and throughout that match, like you know, he you see him start to to his body does start to fail, right? He mm-hmm. tries to go f- to shoot the guy across the, the ring and he falls down. Right. Um, and the the Ayatollah the guy playing him is like, hey man, are you okay? Like we give him enough, just pin me. And he goes up to the top rope to deliver the Ram Jam, which is his finishing maneuver. And you hear his heart beating in the sound design. Um, mm-hmm. you, you feel like, you know, at any moment it, it could give out on him. Like it creates a sense of tension and then cut to black. Right. Right. Yeah. 
and then cue the Bruce Springsteen, but that takes a minute. Which won a bunch of awards. Oh, really? That song, uh, I mean, I think it was that song, uh, but that that was one of those uh, things that that actually did end up winning quite a few awards nice. for good like for best original. Yeah. Nice to see something good happen to that guy, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's been down on his luck for so long. That's right. Just going through the jungles of New Jersey town. I don't know. It's, it's all of his songs. <laughs> the whole film was basically shot in New Jersey, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, supposed to be in New York, but it was. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they shot it in Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing, so... Um, you know, we talk about Randy coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Returning from retirement. Guess who else returned from retirement? Who's that? Vinny Mac. Vince oh. McMahon came back January of this year um, with the sole purpose of uh, stewarding the sale of the WWE to someone else. So he's basically been working with the board, working with you know the other management of the company right. uh, to try and steward a, a sale. There were rumors that it was going to be to Netflix or that it was going to be to ESPN or oh. whatever. Um, and obviously Endeavor, who owns the UFC, makes a lot of sense, I think, from a tactical perspective. What, but like what, um, I guess, what station channel uh, where, where does that show up then? It, it, wherever they sell the rights to. So right now um, the rights still, uh, to WWE are still on NBC. Okay. So some of it's on Peacock, um, still on Fox. So you can watch, uh, Friday night Smackdown on your local Fox affiliate. Right. Um, but when the rights expire at the end of this year, um, they can go anywhere. So they could sell the rights to Netflix. Mm-hmm. They could sell the rights to any broadcaster. Uh, but the, the, company itself, the mm-hmm. one making the money off of selling those rights is now going to be Endeavor or this subs- uh, subsidy TKO, whatever that becomes. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. So the bet, the bet is basically that the traditional TV companies and sort of the video streaming giants mm-hmm. are going to continue to bid higher and higher dollar values for the rights to live events, including scripted and unscripted fights in this case. Right. So the competition between cable TV networks and tech companies, like I mentioned Netflix, but also Amazon, um, are going to be making those the costs of those rights go higher and higher. They're going to be bidding wars um, because viewers are abandoning these traditional television uh, settings. That's a really good reason for major broadcasters to have live events, keep people on traditional television. It's also a really good way for streaming media companies to pull them further away from traditional television, right? Sure. Um, YouTube just made a deal with the NFL for their Sunday ticket package. Really? Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting time to see where this goes. Either way, um, the WWE is going to make a bunch of money off of this. Like It's going to be a big, big rights deal when it comes around next year. So... Uh, you know, in in the words of one of his uh, former employees, mm. the cream always rises to the top. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of making a bunch of money, would you like to know how we did at the box office? I'd love office? to know, yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, the budget on this was estimated to be around $6 million. Okay, yeah, cheap. Yeah, I mean, which makes sense. I mean, they made this for very little money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that it was said that Mickey Rourke actually uh, did not initially pull in a paycheck for this. Um, maybe it would have been against some kind of rule or something like that. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, but then he ended up- he Points ended up on the getting, back end, yeah. Yeah, I think he ended up getting something like $100,000 or something like that. That's and nothing. Some of the money was given, he requested to have given to him in a brown paper sack or something. Okay, <laughs> sure. Some story. <laughs> Whatever you want, Mickey. <laughs> um, opening weekend, domestic, it, it was December 21st in 2008. So like I said, late in 2008, yeah. um, it was 202000 
That's probably like platform release though. Do you know how many screens that was? I don't. It okay, was a very yeah. limited release yeah, 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 though. Okay. Uh, gross domestic was 26.2 million. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Pretty yeah. Good. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And worldwide was 44.7 million. Making money. Right. So they made, they made a ton of money on this and they, um, I mean, it was really huge on like the, the, uh, film festival circuits yeah, really yeah. before it had like a wide release and then it got picked up, um, and distributed like more widely, more right. broadly. Yeah, it was uh, Fox Searchlight, I think was the Yeah, studio. that's right. The, so it also got a bunch of awards. I know you mentioned um, Marissa Tomei and uh, Mickey Rourke. Did it, it didn't get a Best Picture nom, did it? Not for the Oscars, okay, right, no. Cool. Yeah, for the Oscars, the, the two nominations that it got were for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress. It got a ton of awards yeah. and a ton of nominations, I mean, a ton of nominations yeah. at a lot of like little film festivals and like little smaller awards. Um, I really only listed the, the big ones. The BAFTA um, won for Best Actor and was nominated for Best Supporting. SAG uh, was nominated for Best Actor. Golden Globes won for okay. Best Actor, won for Best Original Song from Bruce Springsteen and was nominated for Supporting Actress. And then Grammys won Best Song for a Motion Picture. Okay, right on. Um, so those are like the big ones that I saw. Yeah. But like I said, tons and tons. Uh, the the actual um, re- reviews of this were also just like all around widely acclaimed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Metacritic's uh, Metascore was 89 their user score was 8.2. Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter was 98% fresh, mm-hmm. which is 200 out of 230 reviews. Hell yeah. Good job. Yeah. And 88% for the audience. They got the Golden Tomato Award <laughs> sure, yes. for Best Drama of 2008. Okay. Um, and just, again, just tons and tons of praise for yeah. it. Um, the wrestling community really loved it. Yeah. Um, Vince McMahon saw the film and he called uh, both Aronofsky and Mickey Rourke and was really, really touched by it. Um, and then uh, provide healthcare, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it was it, it was it was very widely received. Yeah. Can I? Would you like to know what movies were nominated for Best Picture in that year? Sure. Uh, the Reader. <laughs> Oh, but I don't know what that is. Uh, what's her name? Kate Winslet plays a former Nazi. Who, yeah, it's a, bad. Uh, Milk. Okay, fine, whatever. Okay. Um, and also, uh, Sean Penn won Best Actor for Milk. Yeah. Uh, and it, over Mickey Rourke, which he's fine in that movie, but still eat shit. Right. Uh, Frost Nixon. Why? Like that because. was a fine movie. Best picture. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. The curious case of Benjamin Button. I only saw it once in theaters. It was fine, but I, it, it didn't really hit for me. Mm. Um, and then the winner was Slumdog Millionaire. Okay. Which was kind of a surprise winner, I think, but. Yeah. I have not seen, hadn't seen it. I think this was. You like, haven't seen Slumdog? No. Okay. All right. No. Um, it is one of those things that I, I know from the zeitgeist, but I truly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just never got around to it. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, that's, that's, that's basically it for the film. Um, one last little piece of trivia is I guess, um, they, they did use sweet child of mine, mm-hmm. um, in the film and, uh, Axl Rose basically donated the use of it oh, nice. to the film because, uh, free of charge for that final match. Okay. Right on. Um, and so they, I think that they, they dedicate the film to him at the oh, very end. <laughs> Thanks Axel. That's yeah. cool. Uh, speaking of musicians though, mm. you know, I mentioned the, the national wrestling Alliance earlier, the NWA yeah. that was it from 1948 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you know who? owns and operates it now, the president of their their company? Mm. Billy Corrigan. 
why? I, he loves wrestling. I don't know. So <laughs> it's just a funny, funny world. I think there are just so many little pieces where it like touches like other parts of pop culture, but yeah. it's also so insulated. That's it's very super strange. random. Um, would you recommend it? I mean, yeah. everybody, everybody knows what I think, but. No, I'm going to go against 98% of critics and tell you it's trash. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good. Uh, you know, if you're a little bit squeamish or, or whatever around some of the bloodier parts, just look away like I did. But otherwise, uh, yeah, no, it was a great film. And Marissa Tomei, fantastic job uh, looking super hot too for especially the fact that she's like in her mid 40s would never have guessed. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ageless yep. is what I say. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and Although, do you want to do the line about her biological clock? <laughs> no, just kidding. Imagine you're a deer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and fantastic, fan- fantastic job all around. Really enjoyed it. Um, maybe I should watch another Aronofsky film. I don't know. Maybe I should go watch Mother next. Mm, don't start there. Go with a fountain <laughs> or Noah. Those are you'll be good with either one of those. I think. All right. All, all right. right. Uh, well, thanks everybody for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. That's right. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at the Crosscut. On Instagram, we are at the Crosscut Pod. And uh, yeah, have yourselves a great rest of your weekend. Hell yeah, brother! <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs>